0: Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio. Today I am joined by Charlotte Gupta from University of South Australia. In this episode, Charlotte discusses her research looking at diet and nutrition around shift workers and how we can basically eat for performance while working shift work. As always, you can contact me at iandunican at sleepforperformance.com.au. You can follow us on Facebook at Sleep for Performance, at Sleep for Perform on Twitter and if you are enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review and a rating on iTunes or any other apps you use. And don't forget, the podcast is available on nearly all platforms now, such as Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, um, the iTunes podcast app, and many, many, many more. Uh, podcast apps are out there, which I keep finding every day, and Sleep for Performance Radio is across them. Uh, We hit 10,000 downloads recently, many thanks for that as well, really appreciated. we just got a couple of ads, and then we'll be into the episode. Exercise and diet are well established in society as two pillars for optimizing our health. However, both are supported by a foundation that is often forgotten, yet even more integral to our health, namely sleep. The Sleep Recovery Specialist course is an innovative online education experience that provides an in depth knowledge base, important sleep assessment tools, and a wide range of effective strategies for supporting clients to improve their sleep habits and behaviors. Improve your sense of happiness and well being, daily energy and alertness, recovery from physical training reduce risk of obesity and diabetes, and reduce your appetite and sweet cravings. Achieve all of this and more. For further information and to enroll online, please visit www.nordicfitnesseducationblog.com.
1: Hey everyone, this is Dr. Mark Bubbs, and I'm excited to announce my new book, Peak, The New Science of Athletic Performance That is Revolutionizing Sports, is available for pre-order right now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Chapters Indigo, and local booksellers before its release on May twenty fourth. Peak is a groundbreaking book exploring the fundamentals of high performance, not the fads, the importance of consistency, not extreme effort, and the value of patience, not rapid transformation. Peak explores the leading experts, such as Dr. Ian Dudekin, who are influencing the top performers in sports on how to achieve world-class success. What are performance professionals saying about PEAK? Dr. Rocco Monto, orthopedic surgeon, Team USA physician and author of The Fountain says, PEAK is a masterpiece of nutritional science from one of the world's leading authorities of athletic health and performance. It's a fantastic resource that provides a roadmap to reaching true wellness. Kelly Olenek, forward for the NBA's Miami Heat says, a must read for athletes and everyone alike. Peak is an immeasurable tool to becoming the best you can be. And Dr. Fergus Connolly, PhD, performance expert and author of Game Changer and 59 Lessons says, Peak is one of the most impressive and detailed books on applied sports science ever published. A must have for any practitioner in performance. Regardless if you're trying to improve your physique propel your endurance performance, or improve your team's record, PEAK is about being an expert in the fundamentals and assumes that while top athletes are born, they can also be made. Pick up your copy of PEAK today. Welcome back
0: to Sleep for Performance Radio. Uh, it's a cold, crappy winteries morning. Winteries? Is that a word? And uh, I have a head cold, so apologies for that. And I am joined today by Charlotte Gupta, who's hopefully going to give me some nutritional advice how to get rid of this head cold. Are you able to do that, Sharla? try my best,
2: but they are hard to get rid of.
0: <laughs> 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 this is the nephrodin in head cold, and it comes for a couple of days, and it's gone, and it goes, and it comes, and I think i find a cure, and then uh, just over and over again. So, anyway, we'll see how we go. So... Charlotte Gupta, am I pronouncing that right? Because I have a great habit of butchering everybody's name.
2: Uh, I say Gupta, but I respond to Gupta, Gupta, all of them.
0: I didn't even hear the difference there. Say that again. (laughs) Gupta. Yeah. Oh, okay. Where is that name from? I've seen a number of people um, uh, with that name in sleep research.
2: It's a very common Indian surname. It's kind of like the Smith, I guess, of India.
0: Oh, is it? There? There's another guy as well who's got a paper about, I think, um, you know, kind of sleep problems in athletes. Luke Gupta.
2: Yeah, I've across the name. I think there's another Charlotte Gupta in research as well that annoys me. I feel like we're mortal enemies somehow.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know if there's any more Ian Doonigan's out there, but if there is. Um, God help the world, that's all I'd say. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Shorla, whereabouts are you today and where are you, where are you stationed in this uh, great white world?
2: So, I'm in Adelaide at the University of South Australia at the Sleep and Chronobiology Laboratory. So, Javon um, Banks' lab who you had on the podcast. While yeah,
0: that's right. We had Javon on uh, last year, season two, I think episode seven. Yeah. So, Adelaide, what's the weather like in Adelaide today?
2: Uh, cold cloudy pretty miserable really
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny isn't it because everybody thinks oh you live in australia it's like 30 degrees the whole time and it's like uh no we actually get a fairly uh fairly chilly winter and especially you guys down there in the australian by you know yeah it's, we it's, do get the hot but yeah in winter it's
2: cold
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah my wife is from Warnable just down the road from Madeleine. so for yeah. me down there in the middle of winter i'm like oh this is great australia is awesome and as the wind and the rain is driving at a forty-five degree angle into your face, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: not the, as the, as the <laughs> no, they don't. Um, this podcast has turned into the weather channel very quickly, but anyway, that's okay. Um, <laughs> so, surely you're living in Adelaide, and um, you're at UniSA uni doing um, you know researching around sleep. But I'm interested to find out about where, where did you grow up originally um, in Australia. So
2: I was. Um, in Adelaide and through high school in Adelaide and then um, did psychology at uni here and um, didn't really know that sleep research existed when I was in undergrad. It's bad to say, didn't know that there was this whole world of sleep laboratories and research and shift work research. I was pretty naive to the whole thing and then in my honours year I uh, stayed uni SA again and managed to, was lucky enough to work with Siobhan and realize that this whole world existed and how interesting it was to get to look at things in the sleep laboratory and ask these questions about shift work and um, yeah, really got me interested in honours and stayed there since then, like four years since then and I'm right yeah. at the end of the PhD now, so yeah, uni ESA the whole time.
0: Very good. And so you're born, bred and stayed in Adelaide. I, it, it's interesting because I never hear about anybody moving to Adelaide, but I only hear about people from Adelaide staying in Adelaide. Yeah. What's you, what, what, why, why is that, do you think?
2: Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah, I do. most of like, people that I went to school with, you stay in Adelaide and then you go to uni in Adelaide and then maybe it's then that you might find a job somewhere else and move away. But most people even then eventually come back here. So it is a nice place. It's cold, but it's a nice <laughs> place, so maybe not.
0: <laughs> Adelaide, what's, what's it commonly referred to as, the, the city, of, the town of churches, is it the city of churches?
2: Yeah, we do have a lot of churches. We do call it Radelaide as well, so. Radelaide. exciting, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so what was the influence in Adelaide about all the churches? How how did... um how did that start or
2: I don't it, know the history of it. It, it. We do I don't even know if we do have more churches than you would expect. There are a lot. Um, but yeah, I haven't looked into the history of it. We just all adopted it. We just all take it as the truth.
0: It's <laughs> obviously a very holy city. It's like the uh, we we'll call it now the Vatican of Australia. How about that?
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> I guess probably the pipe and wear all
0: her sleep research <laughs> <laughs> so Shirley, you said about doing your undergrad degree in psychology was there any particular um reason why you got interested in sleep was there a particular lecture was there a particular experiment or paper because we often find that people in the sleep world it's kind of a unique path how they get into it and um not everybody follows a, a traditional route into it so i'm just interested about what sparked your interest in the area of sleep
2: <laughs> um when i was In, like, high school was probably the first I heard about or even thought about sleep being something that is important and is worth knowing about. And we learned about, um, like, we touched on sleep stages and um, how sleep is controlled in the brain and all of that sort of thing. And it was interesting. And then in undergrad, um, we just didn't hear about it at all. And now it's changed and there are sleep courses that someone runs and I think they're getting a much more um, broad education on sleep but when i was in undergrad we just didn't hear about it and so in honors i wanted a more um i guess hands-on research experience i wanted to see that they do experiments and that sort of cool side of things that you don't get to do in undergrad and so i think i was more drawn to the sleep lab because of the lab side of things and getting to run experiments and um do that more sort of typical psychology that you hear about and then Yeah, so I was drawn to the lab and then that's what made me realize that sleep deprivation and shit work and all these things are the questions that we can ask we can answer just in this one lab that we have and that was something that I could do.
0: Very good. So um what was the what's the overarching goal of your PhD? As you said at the start, you're you're sort of at the the tail end now, yet nearly finished. Um what's the what was the initial sort of hypothesis and, and what were you trying to answer with this research?
2: Um, so we're looking at broadly eating
0: shift
2: <laughs> so um, we found that shift workers eat across 24 hour day so we live in this 24 hour society shift workers eat across 24 hours but we don't actually know or there's no evidence yet to say whether it's <clears> good or bad to be eating during the night particularly for performance so um, I've come along and wanted to look at whether we can target meal size and meal timing during the night shift to improve performance and safety. Because it's something that shift workers are already doing. So is there a way that we can strategically eat and target eating behaviors to improve performance? Because we know that's one of the huge issues with night shift is the reduced performance and safety.
0: Yeah. And um I suppose Charlotte, just for our listeners, what how would you determine shift work or how would you give a definition, definition of it?
2: Yeah, I think it, it's becoming more and more common. I think the typical sort of nine to five work is becoming um, less and less common. But um, broadly, in the literature, shift work is sort of considered outside of 8am to 6pm type of work. Um, and it's mainly night shift, but can also be rotating shifts or really early shifts or really late in the evening shifts. Um, So people in healthcare, accommodation, military, emergency services, driving, on-call workers, there's a whole host of people that either do shift work permanently or maybe one alternate shift a week. Um, But I think from a sleep research perspective, we kind of consider it work that is really disruptive to your circadian rhythm. So Mm. the shift system might really messes up your median alignment and has those effects on health and performance.
0: So it's interesting there, Charlotte, you said that shift work is any outside of 8 o'clock to 6 o'clock during the day. For many people listening, they're probably like, well, that's that's me. Like, I fall into that. And um, it's kind of interesting because you, the kind of the examples you give there probably we could further break it down and say, like, you got these people who are doing a permanent shift. We have these people doing a ir- irregular shift, like you say, working outside the normal hours of like 9 to 5 or 8 to 6. Might be on call or having to work in the evening, uh, probably like most PhD students. Yeah. And then you have got people then who are on this rotating shift work as well, moving through the different phases mm-hmm. um, from mornings to afternoons to night. So the kind of that, that term shift work um, is very, I suppose, probably has multiple layers within that would that that be correct
2: yeah I think when you first hear shift work you kind of you just think of night shift and the sort of images of being awake at 3am but even starting work at 6am and finishing in the early afternoon is enough to really disrupt your routines and your circadian system or finishing at 10 o'clock at night Um, so yeah people might not realise that they are working a shift system that um, they could be altering their habits or um looking at the literature to try and improve things because if they are noticing that they're sleepy or these effects then it is related to the gym system
0: so what is it Charlotte about the early morning starts that might be causing people to be fatigued because we hear a lot today that you know get up early get out to work get it done get up early go to the gym get things out of the way you know rise and grind 4am starts all this sort of thing what, what is it about that that's that's not really good for us
2: and for some people it might work if you're more of that morning type person but um, for a lot of people it does mean you're shortening your sleep so you might still be going to sleep at the same time so 11 10 11 at night but then waking up much earlier so on those days where you are waking up early you shortened your sleep and then that has repercussions for the rest of your sleep for that week um and it also is messing with yeah when you're eating when you're doing your social commitments family commitments so even that sort of few hours earlier can mess up your day enough that you notice it for a few days after
0: yeah yeah so yeah so it's very similar to um to, to jet lag as many people yeah. probably probably have seen already what is it how would you describe those similarities to jet lag, Charlotte, for um, shift workers and jet lag people? What's the what's the underlying kind of similar mechanism that's going on there?
2: Um, yeah, it is very similar. It's that so when you're jet lagged, it's that your your body clock is still in one place. So in Australia, and your physical body's in America, say. Um, so your clock's still used to Australia time, where it's on a set light 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 dark cycle and then you you've gone somewhere and you have to update it or have to take a few days for it to adjust to the new light dark cycle and so it's the same with shift work if you're, your body's used to the daytime diurnal schedule that we're primed to be doing you awake wake during the day sleeping at night and if you've suddenly shifted that a few hours then you've got that sort of few hours of jet lag so if you wake up four hours earlier it's the same as sort of that jet lag feeling you get if you've coming
0: to adelaide from perth for example yeah oh very good all right so <clears throat> turning our attention uh Charlotte, to your uh actual phd research and, and some of the the topics that you uh investigated can we start off with your um probably let's say where most good phd start is a good lit review yeah. um and, you know, you kind of would have trolled through the literature there for a while and probably constantly probably doing it up until the day you submit your PhD. I know I was anyway. You're constantly looking for a, a paper that's popped up because it's always like the day before you put in your literature. review. like, oh, there's one more. There's one more. We found another one. <laughs> um, so I'm interested to see in this area of sort of shift work, chronic nutrition, um, what to eat, when to eat, where, why, and how. Uh, what, the, what did you find initially? What was the big gaps in the literature? Because... Um, I know I certainly thought before I spoke to you that there would have been lots more stuff out there, but obviously not.
2: Yeah, it's one of those things that I think it's shift workers eat and that's, you know, uh, everyone reports different types of eating patterns on shift, but it's something that hasn't really been looked at with sleep, with the performance and alertness kind of thing. So um, what I wanted to look at first before we started delving into what we could alter and what different strategies we could look at in the lab. We wanted to know what shift workers are already saying that they do, what different factors influence what they do. So um, I kind of broke it down into the what, when, where, and why of eating on shift just to try and get that really broad understanding of what shift workers are already doing. And um, we looked at different things that influence the size of what they eat, so snacking is more common, uh, on night shift, than during day shift, for example, we looked at where it from because if we're wanting to try and um, alter what people are eating or what size of the meal, we need to know where they're getting their food from and also why they're eating, so what motivates people to eat. And um, it was about finding as many papers as good that uh, covered any of those factors. And I think what we found, what was most interesting to me was that um, things have been sort of looked at in isolation so there wasn't much looking at it holistically and understanding how all of these factors together influence eating patterns and also just the vast differences in industries in shift types in the same industries, between um, what cost there are differences in eating patterns. It's sort of um, everyone has their own, I guess, individual or team strategies for eating and the biggest gap that we found was that there's no um, set guidelines for eating, no one's following set recommendations, no one's been able to say, this is what you should be eating, or not where we kind of wanted to step in from that literature review and sort of be able to come up with those recommendations.
0: <clears throat> A few uh, probably general questions before we get into some of those um, papers um, that you undertook. A couple of points that constantly come up when I speak to shift workers or I speak to athletes is well if I'm awake at night time surely I'm burning extra calories therefore I need more food is that true
2: um I don't actually know I haven't heard that it is true I wouldn't have I think that the main biological mechanism is that we're not primed to be digesting food and so the body isn't coping with the food as well and so it wouldn't be metabolizing into energy as quickly so I would think that that's more of a, a sort of myth than what would actually be happening that we don't cope with food at night well
0: yeah, I probably shouldn't be asking you questions. Is that true as a scientist? Because as we know, Charlotte, nothing is ever true or false. It's like, it depends. So it's probably, I shouldn't be asking you a true or false. It's not a quiz show. So, um, so yeah, but, but it's, uh, it was a question that comes up a lot. And I probably was just paraphrasing exactly what people ask me there. So yeah. Um, so what what was the first study you tackled coming out of your PhD? Uh, uh, sorry, out of your, your liver review of your PhD, sorry.
2: Yeah, so... Um in my honours was actually the first time that we looked at this uh, eating at night on performance and we did a, a pilot study just looking at having a big meal during the night shift compared to not eating at all and performance during the night and so um, we didn't know what we'd find We didn't know what would see an effect on the food or um, if not eating would be better or eating would be better and what we did find was that there was this huge effect of eating the large meal on performance and that people were uh, reacting much slower on the reaction time tasks we had to do they were driving in a driving simulator and they were a lot more unsafe driving after this large meal they were crashing more often after this large meal and it was a really sort of surprising effect to us that the large meal was really bad for performance and from there we kind of went, all right, well, this is something that we should be looking at and this is an area that we could be targeting. And from there, we did the lit review and I wanted to look at what shift workers actually do. And snacking came up as this really common behaviour and shift workers found it easy to find snacks on shift and were snacking a lot in groups. And we wanted to look at whether this behaviour that shift workers are already doing is that better performance than this large meal that we found was bad, um, and so we conducted this large study uh, that Siobhan mentioned in her podcast, so an HMRC grant study that was going went for about two years, and I looked at specifically eating a large meal during the night, a snack, or not eating on cognitive performance, so the driving simulator and reaction time and okay. ratings.
0: So just just before we, we got on a rabbit hole on this one, so you had... Um you said a large meal a snack and fasting basically not having anything those three different conditions yeah um what, what what's classified as a as a large meal what, what what's the typical meal you give guys in this um or participants in this study
2: yeah we looked at um so it was about 30 percent of their daily energy intake so kind of a large lunch meal so it was a A sandwich and some nuts and a muesli bar or sort of variation on that, a sandwich and some cheese and crackers or something like that.
0: So typically was that meal somewhere between 800 to 1,000 calories?
2: Uh, Yeah, typically. It was depending on their weight, but yeah, it's about that.
0: And did you calculate the amount of calories required based upon their their basal metabolic rate or was it basically just like uh, self-reported, I need this as a large meal?
2: Yeah, so we um, looked at their individual energy needs based on their basal metabolism and every meal was a percentage of that. So okay. macronutrient controlled, energy controlled meals, but might be different sizes in response
0: yeah so i think that's that's interesting because uh some people say they need this massive meal which is like three times what they actually need um so i think it's it's really good that you you control that meal um and what about then the kind of the snacks or the the smaller type meals what what would that or what did that consist
2: of so the snack was uh only 10 percent of their daily energy so um if the large meal was a sandwich and not and <coughs> then the snack would just be the nuts in the muesli bar and they would eat the sandwich at a different time so we made sure they all are the same food just distribution of energy per 24 hours
0: okay and then obviously fasting um people like nothing all night were are allowed to drink any any liquids
2: are they water only but nah, nothing too exciting <laughs>
0: nothing too exciting and 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 across this simulated shift work then as well uh sure did, did people consume caffeine did they have any energy drinks or was that all controlled for
2: yeah we controlled all of that so they had nothing containing caffeine no drinks or chocolate and just water and whatever food we were giving them so not very exciting for them but
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> and when when you talk about measuring their actual performance um how was this how was this measured or how did you extract this data from them?
2: We, so they did um, four night shifts and I had them do a 40-minute driving simulator task four times each night shift. So they weren't very happy with me by the end, but um, <laughs> it was a long haul, very monotonous drive for 40 minutes. And that was a sort of a long test of being able to sustain attention across time when you're not doing anything exciting. And they also did some shorter, um, really basic reaction time tasks. So just responding to a light appearing for three minutes um, and did a couple of those that we could look at.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's interesting that they weren't too happy doing it, but in saying that, this is exactly what happens in shift workers. We You see this with these uh, guys doing long haul, you know, trucking across the country, particularly here in Australia. Like Western Australia, I think you can drive up to 17 hours. Every state's got its own different um, sort of legislative requirements. Around. I think in Western Australia, you can drive 17 hours uh, in a day. Um, and then if you look inside, let say mining, for example, people could be driving between 30 to 60 minutes on what we call like a waste run people bringing waste product out to a dump um um so or even, or even taxi drivers you know driving at night as well so yeah. it's interesting people kind of got annoyed but this is exactly what goes on people who yeah. stay awake at night they they are sleep deprived they are eating food and they are trying to perform a task so it kind of um, goes to show how irritable people become even in a laboratory. Imagine what they're like in a workplace.
2: Yeah, because these are people that uh, have never experienced shift work We've like they're purposely chosen because they are young and healthy and non-shift workers and so yeah, it is interesting to see them react to having to do shift work for the first time.
0: <laughs> so Charlotte, you did these measures of performance in terms of reaction time, you did a drive test, you standardized the meals, you had these four nights, the tests all across the night what was better, the large meal, the snack, or fasting?
2: Um, so across all of the performance tests, the snack was the best performing group, which was surprising to us, but it's exciting that the snack was best.
0: The snack was best. And what was second best, the large meal or fasting? Fasting. Fasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, was there any relationship there between fasting and would we'll say the body mass index or the the food habits of the person, because a lot of the reason I ask this, a lot of people are doing fasting now as a way to increase performance during the day, yeah. reduce weight, you know, um, get themselves out of pre diabetic st- uh, state or whatever it might be. Or other people are just kind of gone. It's just easy to fast for twelve, thirteen, fourteen hours a day, and then just consume all my meals in a period. Was there any relationship between the fasting and those people that? Um, you know, maybe had a higher BMI or weren't used to it, and that therefore they had um, an adjustment period to fasting, which people often um, report in the first week or two.
2: Yeah, that's um, really interesting, and I think that is what we were finding is that in these people that we specifically screened for. Um, I guess how strict they are with their diet. We want people that are fairly sort of standard in what they eat and when they eat and when they come into the lab. We had a lot of people that didn't like the fasting. They thought, I'm awake for all this time. I need to be eating. And they were reporting, um, we had them do scales of hunger and thoughts of food and desire to eat. And the people that were fasting were hungry and had these huge thoughts of food. That definitely could have been apart in their performance, they're sort of distracted by hunger and the um, wanting to be eating.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because we did some work at the um, Australian Institute of Sport and we worked with combat athletes in a simulated study um, where athletes were trying to make weight for a fight. So athletes typically have to reduce their body weight leading up to a fight. And we did the same thing where we had them on a low fiber low fiber diet or low residue diet and then yeah. water loading and so on. Um, so without going into that study in depth, um, you know, the athletes during the week, all the healthy guys in their mid-twenties, the talk of food and their self-reported sort of craziness about food over a study that went for like seven or eight days, they're only restricted from food or the foods that they wanted for I think four days they were still getting you know two and a half thousand calories a day so they weren't starving but yeah my god people went into a tailspin after 24 hours oh when I finish this study I'm going to eat four buckets of ice cream I'm going to do this I need hot chips people started to go a bit loopy from being you know deprived of um of their food um, did you find this on, on yours as well
2: yeah, um, yeah. people just weren't happy with eating, not eating. And we find that when we present the ideas to other researchers and at conferences that there's this sort of reluctance to not eat during the night shift. There's this thought that if you're awake for that long and you're not eating, then that's bad for your health and that's going to cause more health problems than it is to eat a large meal. And um, yeah, but what we found was... They were better in performance than those that had the large meal and we didn't find any difference in, um, we measured subjective, so their ratings of headaches and stomach upset and dizziness and we didn't find any difference in that either. So not eating was causing this, um, I guess, distracted by thoughts of food and a bit irritated with not eating, but wasn't any subjective um, problems to health.
0: Mm. did you Was there any sort of similar work ever done in uh, environments like military or aviation or NASA with astronauts because a lot of, a lot of people might think that you know these guys might have a down pat and then we could mm. just replicate that
2: yeah, not that i 've been able to see so there 's been um, studies on what they eat in aviation and in military and how they perform, but not that study of both of them together, so this is kind of the first. Um, kind of the first uh, group to sort of put those two together and think about how eating does affect performance.
0: Yeah, with this study as well, Charlotte, with the guys, um, the participants. Mm-hmm. Um, I say guys a lot, but I mean it collectively. So it's yeah. uh, <laughs> it's like saying um, it's like saying I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, So with with the guys or the participants in this in this study, um, did anybody? start like losing weight over those three or four days with the restrictions on, on their meals? Was there any sort of, did you look at body mass and how that may have been reduced?
2: Yeah, so we weighed them every day and um, with the goal of altering the energy intake slightly, if they were putting on or losing weight, we wanted them to stay the same throughout yeah. the week. And um, we didn't have anyone that needed to be, needed their diet to be altered, so no one lost or gained any dramatic sort of weight from the diet that we put them on.
0: Yeah so one of the one of the issues um that's really interesting one of the issues we see in long term shift workers mm-hmm. is that you know obviously there's this disruption between um, leptin and ghrelin these appetite regulators and people who yeah. do a lot of shift work over time tend to tend to gain weight so mm-hmm. you know i think i read before the, <coughs> the average shift worker is about 5 kilos or 12 pounds in a year mm-hmm. um and I've certainly seen that in my work and some guys even more. The most I saw was a guy gained 25 kilos in a year, which is about yeah. 60, 60, odd pounds. Um, yeah. Yeah. He was doing uh, mining uh, fly and fly-out work. And obviously with that, with that weight becomes then a whole host of sleep-related breathing disorders that may occur because the person's obviously, you know, gained that weight. Then there's all the other negative or um, health impacts that come with it too, like being diabetic and so on. Do you yeah. think that maybe your studies may be able to influence the eating behaviours of people to kind of minimise these impacts of sleep disorders and other, other negative health impacts? Did you, Do you see any promise in your work for that?
2: Yeah, that would definitely be the <coughs> longer-term goal of altering these um, eating patterns is the short-term performance on shift, but also the long-term health of the workers. And um, I think something important, about our study is that they're eating foods that are quite healthy, and we know that shift workers—some definitely eat these sorts of foods, but others are eating um, really heavy foods that are higher in um, carb and saturated fats and sugar. And that's definitely eating those things during the night is going to be worse for your both your performance and also your longer-term health and gaining weight. Um, and we've had uh, Crystal Yates from our lab has looked at glucose metabolism from that large meal or the fasting and found that um, that large meal impairs glucose metabolism compared to fasting. So if you're eating that large meal over long-term during the night, then you're going to be impacting how your body's coping with that. And then that's sort of the link between obesity and diabetes and the long-term shift work. So hopefully reducing food intake is a way we can um, help people not to see those effects of putting on weight and those health effects.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Charlotte, um, you had another... <coughs> oh, God, this cough is back. <coughs> you had another study there. Um, thing, I think it was titled Subjective Hunger, Gastric Upset, and Sleepiness in Response to an Altered Meal Timing and During Simulated Shift Work. This title here, is this, is this predominantly what we've been speaking about?
2: Yeah, so it's the same study, and it's the paper focusing on those subjective reactions from people during the night.
0: Okay, okay and then the driving um component of that that was broken out into a separate paper as well is that correct
2: yeah so we wanted to look at um performance separately to all the subjective ratings um so we've looked at hunger fullness desire to eat and the um, headache dizziness ratings that i spoke about and subjective sleepiness across the night and also um yeah then their performance separately
0: Okay. You were you were speaking there a moment ago about um, the different types of foods on night night shift are in terms of, you know, healthy. So some people might go, well, you know, I'm snacking on night shift. Uh, I start at six and I finish at six in the morning. So I'll have a sausage roll at 11 o'clock. I'll have a meat pie at two o'clock and then I'll have a couple of apples before I go to bed. Um, so that, that might be one diet. And we definitely have seen that a lot. And then you might have another diet where somebody's bringing salad, tuna, um, maybe some rice cakes. They might put in, you know, maybe one pie into that to have at four o'clock in the morning when they're really starting to crave those uh, fatty foods. Yeah. Did you um, determine a kind of a a grouping of stuff that could be picked out for snacks across night, like, um, or even a scale of what's better and what's worse? Or have you got to that stage?
2: So in the lab, we um, gave them things like I said, like muesli bars and nuts and cheese and crackers and fruit, and so things that were um, as higher in carb but lower in fats and sugars, and so I guess are more typically on the healthy side of the spectrum. and we wanted to have that really controlled. So as we were just looking at the amount of food and the timing rather than the type of food. Um, and then the next step, obviously, is to look at different types of food and things that are higher in fats and sugars. So um, things like chocolate or like you were saying, roles are things that are, I guess on the unhealthier end of the spectrum and also um, different timing so like you said eating later in the shift or right before you go to bed compared to eating early in the shift so we had them eat at uh, 12 30 a.m so quite I guess early on in the shift and we yeah. saw the performance effects went across the shift right until sort of 7 30 in the morning but what we don't know what would happen if you would sort of eat another snack later on in the shift so we've really focused on one really simple eating strategy as the first step but now that we know that it is this really exciting area to explore then definitely taking into account those other eating patterns it's important
0: and do you think um that the type of we'll say shift work is going to be um a factor in this so for example when people probably think a shift worked a couple of things come to mind uh probably nursing yeah. either on 12 hour shifts eight hour shifts a lot of time under feet, dealing with lots of people gotta be you know sort of on it the whole time frontline uh healthcare providers really busy uh versus somebody driving a truck that can listen to the abc radio cruising along um you know not very probably physically active but definitely have to be mentally and cognitively engaged yeah. and then you might have somebody else who's working in a kind of a laboring type environment a lot of lifting maybe in a warehouse moving around or somebody in a mining operation working overnight who's you know working on a blast crew um, mm-hmm. do you think uh, do you think those type of um outputs will vary the uh, the, the nutrition requirements
2: I think the like the energy expended is likely to have an impact so we in the lab it's a very controlled environment we don't let them really do any exercise other than walking to and from rooms so um, we deliberately control that but definitely those jobs where they are more active might play a part in different snacks. Um, I think in terms of the tasks that they're doing if we would sort of break that down into the type of attention that or type of cognitive processes that people are doing. And so we deliberately wanted to have them do a really long, sort of boring, monotonous task as well as those sort of smaller tasks. So the driver driving people or like or people that are monitoring systems are likely to be sitting there sustaining their attention for a while. Whereas you know, nurses might be um, up and reacting to alarms and things quite quickly. Yeah. And we found that the food did have an impact across all of those different tasks and especially in a row, if people, we found that they were reacting worse across time. So after driving, they were reacting worse to the reaction time tasks. And mm. so we think that it's likely to extend to a whole, the whole range of different tasks that people are doing. And, um, yeah, whether it's the quick tasks or the long, slow, more monotonous tasks.
0: Yeah. And what about the recovery sleep? Well, obviously, these guys were in a simulated shift work environment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we we, we see... Predominantly in, in shift work, that the sleep is quite variable compared to the seven to nine hours. So, yeah. you know, people doing night shift probably get between five and six hours sleep. Those doing evening shift, um, probably around six and a half hours sleep. And those on day shift, probably somewhere between seven and seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any relationship between the amount of sleep that they got and any of your, of your factors as well, or your outcome factors or your outcomes? Yeah. Sorry.
2: They all had um, a seven hour day sleep after each night shift, with- seven hours. Seven hours.
0: Wow, that was a good group.
2: Yeah. And they, yeah, we didn't see any differences between the eating groups. So eating a large meal during the night or fasting didn't impact the sleep quality or quantity. Um, but yeah, the big difference obviously is that it's a lovely sleep lab which is temperature controlled and noise controlled and dark and in the real world people are going back to their houses and there's light and there's noise and there's kids and so yes sleep is going to be a big factor to consider we don't know if people are sleep restricted if they will respond differently to the food and their ratings of hunger and um, like you said leptin and ghrelin has been trying to be impacted by sleep restriction so whether we're seeing differences in performance when people are sleep restricted would be really interesting to look at
0: yeah and i think you make a great point there charlotte about people going home and sort of uh being exposed to light either commuting home maybe yeah. coming home the kids are heading out the door and um, you know the, the shift workers going to bed or if the shift workers you know going out the door in the evening do they have a chance to prepare their food for going on shift or do they just go pass a service station and pick up whatever's on offer or is there a you know a canteen, cantina worker a place that provides these healthy options as well so um it's interesting that you're you're sort of touching on all these things that go into the practical world of shift work that needs to be considered as well about planning and recovery and so on um yeah. because it's yeah. a it's it's a it's a spider web
2: yeah yeah
0: uh, once you get into it yeah yeah
2: and i think it comes back to the the individual strategies but also workplaces like providing a fruit bowl in the office or the healthiest snacks and vending machines so it sort of has implications for the individual level and also the workplace and organizational level
0: yeah what do you think about these um obviously in um in in the in the media, we've been bombarded with diets, and mm-hmm. probably those of us are a bit, <laughs> a bit older. Probably have seen, you know, twenty five million diets come through in the last yeah. thirty years, and we're like, "All oh, right, here comes another one." But probably the the latest one that we see is probably the ketogenic diet, mm-hmm. the um, low carb, high fat slash, um, you know, paleo th- these yeah. type of low carb, high fat diets, and all a then what's the other one then being intermittent fasting, as we spoke about as well so people you know restricting the the window of eating during the day Mm. what do you think about what do you think about those in terms for shift workers and uh, do they show any promise or is that something you've looked into or considered
2: uh we haven't looked into and i don't think anyone has to my knowledge into paleo or keto diets specifically for shift workers um (laughs) I think intermittent fasting is probably the one that's closest to what we're looking at. It's intermittent fasting is all about changing the window of eating time, so only eating for maybe a six or eight hour window during the day. And I think, I guess, that's what we're trying to do is alter the eating window to um, distribute food differently. So you have a snack at night, but the big difference is that intermittent fasting is all about eating during the day when you're awake and um, fasting for longer overnight. When you've got that sleep period and obviously night shift workers have reversed that so it's a kind of reversal of intermittent fasting and having the day be that long period of fasting um so I guess that's kind of what we are looking at but looking at the different diets like keto and paleo would be the next step in how they interact with the shift work environment
0: yeah and so um in terms of performance with like athletes or, you know, highly trained um, amateur athletes, have you, have you looked at this or do you think this would be an area to look at in terms of chrononutrition and, and use of snacking? Because obviously a lot of athletes move around, they train at different times, they experience jet lag, then you've got people who do endurance racing where they, they race for many hours on end. Um, is this something that maybe, maybe, uh, maybe next?
2: Yeah, it's definitely in that same uh, world of chrononutrition. It's all about the timing of when we're doing certain things. And for athletes, the timing of um, sleep and of wake and when they're exercising can often be um, different to, say, the normal sleep-wake cycle that we're used to. And so eating is a big part of that, particularly, I guess, when you're an athlete and you're targeting your eating for strength and for weight and for things like that. Um, and yeah, I the Port Adelaide football team went to China recently for an AFL Australian Australian football league game, and I was wanting to find, find out what they were eating on the plane and when they were eating. It was mm-hmm. worrying me that they weren't going to play well because they're my team because they were going to be eating on the plane. <laughs> but uh, they won, so they must have been uh, eating, right?
0: <laughs> well, look, I, I'm not going to allow any secrets here, but I've, I've worked with many different athletic groups and I tell you, as a fan – uh, as a scientist and as a fan, I'm shocked about what some athletes oh, eat. I know. <laughs> so um, for those of you listening to this and thinking that all athletes are, you know, eating, you know, grapes and berries and carrots, uh, it's far from that. Um, I think Uber Eats is probably getting more business out of athletes than any other yeah. organization. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charlotte, you're, you're, you're nearly finished your PhD, you were saying, at the start. How, how long to ago? What's the um, what's the status of your work?
2: The my submission day is set for next month, so I am gone a bit crazy at the Whoa. moment.
0: Oh, <laughs> we've got we've caught you right at the best time, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah <bit> mad, but <laughs> good, it's exciting.
0: So, submission next month. Um, so what are we now? We're just we just kicked off and J- we're July 1st today, yeah. Um, so you got to have it in by August, and um, obviously, then that should be wrapped up, within then you know hopefully within six months of your submission you should be all done and dusted and we'll be calling you we'll be calling you doctor and bound don't you um
2: yes
0: yeah, what, what, <laughs> i tell you this, it doesn't work like that i can tell oh, you that no, I What's the point, then? <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought i'd feel different afra i felt a bit smug for a few hours and the next day you know people were swearing at me so it was um, yeah. i was brought down to earth very quickly um that's that's one of the best things about you know working um, in consulting applying to sciences people don't really care what the title you have is yeah um, <laughs> so Cheryl what's, what's next after after this What where, where do you see your career heading will you stay in Australia will you leave sunny Adelaide will you go far away and maybe go to Melbourne um, what, what's on the horizon for you
2: Um, yeah, it's a tough one. It's hard to think past next month at the moment, but, um, I would, I'd love to stay in research and stay in this shift work world. Um, I think we've uncovered something really exciting with the chrononutrition and putting it with performance. And it feels like this is sort of the start of really being able to come up with these specific recommendations for eating. So I'd love to stay, um, yeah, continuing that and teasing apart what type of snack and different timing is that. But really um, yeah my aim is to stay in any sort of research that we can use to help shift workers and help their performance at night
0: excellent so if any shift workers listening to the podcast charlotte what would you say to them in terms of um you know eating on shift what would be any kind of one or two pieces of advice you'd give them
2: Uh, So what we can say from my research is avoiding large meals during the night shift, so sort of heavy, larger meals like the sandwich and snack sort of meals together and opt for that smaller snack so whether it's just a muesli bar and fruit or something some nuts or cheese and crackers just one sort of snack during the night shift and importantly you don't have to eat less across 24 hours so you can still have a big dinner meal before you come on shift you can eat with your family things like that but don't eat a huge amount of food on shift just opt for that smaller snack
0: excellent That's great. Thanks very much, Charlotte. Um, So for anybody that would like to follow you on Twitter, Instagram, any other sort of media, um, do you have any handles? Do you have any contacts? Would you like to share them out with uh, with the wider audience?
2: Um, so twitter is cc underscore gupta g-u-p-t-a and then you can look up charlotte gupta and uni sa and it will come up with um, my email and research gate and all those sorts of fun places
0: that page is broken charlotte i looked up this morning and i said page not found
2: oh did you know that already
0: <laughs> You're on research gear, but I had it up there this morning for UNESW UNESA, sorry, and it said page not found. So you might want oh get, to get them to fix that in the background.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're getting rid of me already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right, Charlotte Any any closing comments you'd like to make to the audience? Are you all happy? Did we did we get everything out that we needed to get out?
2: Yeah, I think so. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to share the research and Fanny Shift workers and um Yeah, I'm in awe of working shift work. I did it for a little bit working on these studies and it really takes it out of you. So yeah,
0: shift (laughs) work for sure I, I, just as a, as, a, as a closing story because I've got many stories mm-hmm. uh, last week I was talking to some guys in oil and gas in a um, remote part of Western Australia and they were saying how bad it was you know working, working away and yeah. having to be in these areas and it wasn't even an offshore platform and I, I, I was saying look I said no matter how bad I think it is in Australia or when I'm travelling around or work's going on I always think back to my early days when I was an infantry soldier lying in a drain in Ireland when it was raining on top of me and it was like minus two, and I was freezing cold, and I was eating dry biscuits, and I was like three o'clock in the morning, and I think yeah. everything from then has been a positive. Yeah. So I, every time I use that as my reference point, I always think that everything is good. So um, so yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's how I always look at look at it, you know, no matter yeah. how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. There's always someone awake at 3am somewhere. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> All right, Charlotte, I'll we'll let you go. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks once again to Charlotte Gupta from University of South Australia for making herself available. With only a few weeks to go until she submits her PhD, we really appreciate her taking the time out to have a chat to us. Um, Make sure you follow Charlotte on ResearchGate or Twitter. She's got some really interesting work, and I think this is going to be an area to watch for the future. Um, You know, irregular work hours, irregular training hours, and the relationship with food and nutrition is only going to be a a growing area of research. And uh, I think it could have a massive impact on shift work and performance in the future. Okay, until next month, sleep well.